Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Make the Space with Ashley. It's your girl, Ash. Thank you again for tuning in for another episode. I greatly appreciate everyone's love and support. If you're not already doing so, please be sure to follow the podcast Instagram page at Make the Space with Ashley. Today, we have a very special guest on the show with us. We have comedian, podcaster, and life coach, Leo Flowers. Welcome, Leo. How are you? Uh, you know, I am feeling invigorated. I'm, uh, I, have a, <laughs> I have a colonoscopy uh, on Friday. So today I'm, I'm doing, I have to do an all-liquid uh, diet to prepare <laughs> for it. And so... Uh, I'm feeling very vascular. All, all my bloating is down. I got a little six pack coming in. So <laughs> uh, it's, it's incredible what a day can do. That's really good. That's good to know. I've never gotten a colostomy, but I would imagine like a lot of people say like you feel like a light, a lot lighter afterwards. So oh, yeah. hopefully you you feel those those benefits as well. <laughs> I definitely do. I'm, I'm. I'm also. You know. I got. I got a strong craving for a burger right now. But uh, mm, don't that... do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> oh yeah. So it, it, it. This. This lightness definitely won't last. Uh, as soon as that colonoscopy <laughs> is over, we're about to get heavy again. So. He's like, as soon as that's over, take me to. I don't know what's like the burger spot out there. Like, I don't know if it's like what In and Out or Shake Shack. Uh, like, listen, I I don't understand how people even love In and Out. It's trash. It's, oh, it's, I've never had it. That's, we don't have that on the East Coast. What do you got out there? We have Five Guys, Shake uh, Shack. Okay. Um, I love Shake Shack, White Castle. I love White Castle. A lot of people like call it the murder burgers, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had that problem with White Castle burgers. Uh, um, so, but now no in and out. But I've, like that's like a big thing out there in Cali. Like I have a, a friend out there who I had on the show, and he's like, "Yeah, in and out is the bomb." Da da da. I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah, I, 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 those, I, I, I don't want to judge them, but I just feel like their, their palates have not been expanded. Uh, <laughs> just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a burger, but Five Guy Fries, that's my spot because they have uh, great fries. Mm-hmm. They, have, they have the best fries out of everybody. Agreed. Well, we got Leo on the show today. Um, Leo, like I mentioned, is a podcaster as well. He has a suicide prevention podcast called Before You Kill Yourself. It is amazing. Um, And we're just here today to, you know, just chop it up about um, mental health, you know, with one advocate to another. But before we get into it and we start having some more fun, Leo, every time I have a guest on the show, I do what I call a flex moment. And it's basically... Your time to, I always tell people, it's your time to brag on yourself, you know, flex on us, like, you know, let us know, like, what you got going on, um, you know, I know you're a comedian, and, like, with COVID restrictions being lifted, like, if you got some comedy tours coming up, or shows, things like that, um, anything, you know, you want to share with the listeners, just let us know. Uh, the podcast is, is really massive, you know, it's called Before You Kill Yourself, and uh, it's a suicide prevention podcast, but really, we're talking about how to show people how to thrive and and giving people an anchor for being here. It's one thing to say, hey, don't end your life. It's another thing to give someone a reason not to 
in their life and, uh, and, and show them how to engage with life, how to find meaning, how to find purpose, and, and, and in a practical ways, not just in some, life is beautiful, it's amazing. <laughs> like, you know, like really, how do you, how do you talk to your wife? How do you, how do you resolve conflict? Um, how do you get, um, uh, how do you manage your finances? Um, you know, what do you do if you have like a chronic pain from uh, either an injury or, uh, you know, you're born uh, with some type of uh, genetic um, illness? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, how do you battle back from breast cancer or grief and loss? Like very practical things. How do you talk to your three-year-old, uh, you know, when they're upset? How do you tuck yourself in at night? Self-soothing things. So, you know, we're very practical uh, because all these things, um, you know, especially how do you deal with a breakup? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you know, my, my girlfriend, Michelle, she works at a suicide prevention hotline. And a lot of the phone calls are from children, from children mm -hmm. who uh, are having a tough time coping with a breakup or not even a breakup, unrequited love where, the girl's just not calling you back or the guy's not calling you back or, you know, um, so a, a lot of it is when we think of people who want to end their lives is we're tent we usually are thinking of people who like uh, some great tragedy has happened. Uh, but usually it's these small misdemeanors that are that are leading people to to the cliff's edge. So uh, you know, we're, we're talking about all of it. We're talking about all of life. And, um, and what's cool is I, we're going to we have like a sub series called um, uh, Before You Kill Each Other. And mm. I haven't released those yet. And, but it's where I'm interviewing couples who uh, are, you know, been quarantined together and been together for anywhere from a year to 20 years. And what have been their challenges and their struggles? And so what do they have to teach us about relationships in, in a very real way and not in some Instagrammable Twitter meme uh, type of way? Nice. I'm looking forward to that. The couples one. That's going to be really, really insightful and pretty juicy. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of it is so many of us think we're going through things alone and you know also one-on-one -on -one coach clients uh, my clients for some reason uh, women uh, it's been women primarily uh, that I work with they're type A they're corporate execs who uh, are they're thriving and killing it in their career but they're, they're struggling to find meaning and, and purpose in their in their personal life um, mm. or even find connection uh, with the uh, in their relationship. So uh, that's been my demographic and uh, very grateful for that. But a lot of it is we all think we are going through things alone. Mm -hmm. And we're the only ones who are experiencing this. We're the only ones who are feeling this. You know, right now, um, someone I'm working with, they are, they've been sexually abused as a male. And a lot of men think that they're the only men who've been sexually abused as a kid when over 50% of men have been 
uh, sexually abused. Oh wait, do I have that? That uh, wait, do I have that number right? I, I want to say over. <laughs> wait, I'm sorry. Here it is. Over 50% of men who struggle with uh, obesity and weight loss have been sexually abused. That mm. was okay. So, uh, and we see that that same number in women. So, uh, a lot of people out there who are struggling with their weight, with with obesity, um, there has been some type of physical trauma or abuse in their history, and a lot of people are walking around with the shame and guilt that uh, that they're the only ones who've experienced this when. But as we get more comfortable with sharing our stories, we'll find more people who share our stories. That's why group therapy is so effective because mm-hmm. you realize you're not alone and that um, other people have been where you've been, if sometimes worse. Um, and, and they can give you clues as to how to keep moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Group therapy is great. It's actually something I recently started doing probably like, I want to say March. Um, I recently started going, seeking like specialized therapy for sexual assault victims and, and like just how to like process that trauma. And then I found um, with the organization I'm working with that they have group therapy once a month. And I was like, I never did group. And I was kind of at first, a little I guess you would say it's intimidated by it you know I was like I don't know how many it was virtual so I'm like I don't know how many people are going to be there um you know I don't know if anyone's even going to be open to talking like I had no idea really what to expect but when I left when I left that uh group therapy session I I felt um like I was a part of a community and I felt a lot less alone because like you said like we think that we're going through these things alone and there's people that are going through similar things, uh, you know, sometimes even worse situations. But the problem is, it's like people are not doing what you and I are doing now, just like openly talking about it. Like, yeah, like mental health in like the last few years or so has been more openly talked about. But there's still such a big stigma um, behind it. And there's still so many barriers to break, especially in the black and Latino community, too. If we're like really going to talk about breaking barriers. So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with everything that you said. Well, you know, that's the beauty of music and hip hop, because, you know, one of the albums that got me through college, and, you know, I, I'm a person who struggled with suicidal ideation most of my life. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that got me through college was Biggie's uh, album, uh, Notorious B.I.G., you know, his first album was Ready to Die. And he had a song on there called Suicidal Thoughts. And I must have played that song a million times. And that song is what helped me move through my emotions, uh, find some calm, find connection, you know. So uh, a, a lot of times I think parents and, and people become afraid if we listen to uh, music about suicide or death or violence that will start to act it out but really it's uh it's a safe way for us to feel our emotions because mm-hmm. we have someone else who is uh putting it into words and hopefully a dope beat um and 
allowing us to express it in a way that uh, is not harmful to ourselves or someone else. It, it doesn't plant the seed because the truth is we're, we're listening to it and vibing with it because it, it's it's something that we were already feeling, right? Because I can't just listen to suicidal thoughts whenever. Like I, I don't I don't feel I don't feel that way all the time. But when I right. do feel it, it's a song that kind of grounds me and like, oh, that's right. I'm not the only one feeling like this. Uh, he felt like this. And and now I you know it's uh, now it's out of my system, and now I can put on some Justin Timberlake or something like that, you know. <laughs> um, so it, it's you know that's the beauty of of movies, uh, you know when you're sad, you know you pop in, uh, you know like Love Jones or Sleepless in Seattle or uh, you know something like that, and 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 even poetry and, and but art, the the beauty of art is that there's in art you can find someone who feels the way you do uh and you know van gogh cut his ear off he went through his blue period you know miles davis kind of blue um but and so you can find the music not just for when you want to go and party and, and and get crunk or get height or you about to go work out but also for those moments where you're feeling disparaged and and uh in despair and absolutely music is a great coping skill the arts in general um i use i i, I use poetry as one of my coping skills um a hundred percent all of my best poetry came out of like my worst depressive episode <laughs> and you know um but that's how that's how i cope and i would have loved to have you on my i had an episode with a friend that we talked about how um hip-hop helped us cope with our depression um because we're both really big hip-hop heads and like we talked about like different artists and and songs and albums that got us through and um, like one of my, I think one of my favorite artists that has gotten me through some of my darkest times um, is J. Cole, um, Kendrick Lamar, Logic, um, you know, and like you said, like, yeah, like you, there is that music where you want to get hyped to and you, you're about to get lit and that's great and everything. But you also like need that music that's, you know, definitely going to help you provide some comfort and in knowing like, you know, you're not alone and it's going to be okay. Well, you know, and that's the beauty of it is, you know, talking about hip hop, it has such a negative stigma in terms of violence and, and misogyny, but it's in hip hop that you will find uh, men being their most vulnerable, whether you're talking about J. Cole or Drake or, um, you know, Biggie with suicidal thoughts. Like there's so much vulnerability, Tupac, so much pain um, that they're expressing it. And it's not just anger, but it's sorrow, it's longing, it's uh, um, uh, uh, sedaude, uh, uh, you know, all these uh, different emotions, uh, fear um, that, that's being expressed. And, um, and unfortunately, a lot of, kids, especially young people, feel like they can't have these discussions with their parents, which is why mm -hmm. they are turning uh, uh, to this this music. So, you know, through art, we found that um, the conversations that 
society is unwilling to, to have or struggling to have. Uh, we're finding it in, in music. And, um, you know, you got Demi Lovato with her new um, uh, documentary about her struggles and her trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. And so, excuse me, I think we as a society through our, our finding it easier to discuss uh, mental health and and social health. I think, you know, so much emphasis is put on mental health and we're not talking about social health. Like, where do you live? Because, mm. you know, your environment, uh, I had a guy on my, my podcast, uh, Evan Transo, and he talked about how your environment pulls the trigger, right? So they took these mice and they put them in a, in a maze and they had uh, sugar, and food and all the mice just kept going or it was like sugar it was like food and cocaine or something like that and the mice kept going back to the cocaine or going back to the sugar however once they they built the maze uh to be like a small like ecosystem like a town where the, the rats can like play around and uh exercise and and you know have other things to engage them they they stopped uh, going for the, the cocaine or the sugar. They went just for the food uh, mm-hmm. because they, they their life had more meaning, more purpose, that, you know, things that they were looking forward to. And so, you know, we see that same thing with mental health when, you know, you see someone who is uh, seemingly undone or unmanned, as Abraham Lincoln would say, uh, you have to ask like, you know, Tell me about your environment. Tell me about your community, your neighborhood, your school system. Tell me about what your home life is like. What is this thing that you're uh, trying to escape from or feel like you, you have to repress yourself uh, in such a way that now it's showing itself in some uh, self-sabotaging way or, you know, where you, or maybe, you know, like, especially if you're black or a minority, you know, all the code switching that has to be done. Uh, but even for women, that's not just a, a racial thing, but, uh, you know, people at all different levels have to do, are doing, performing some type of code uh, switching. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the direction that uh, the conversation on mental health is going. But I, I think that uh, we as a society also have to take uh, some responsibility in terms and in, in recognizing, like, it's not just you in your head. It's not just about it all being in your head. It's about recognizing how your surroundings impact uh, how you show up. Mm. That's very true. And, you know, you really put that in perspective for me because I never I never really thought about that too much until now. You know, um, I grew up in New York City in the Bronx in the projects. Um, went to, a, you know, really bad elementary school. You know, South Bronx, lots of, you know, violence, gang violence, drug use going on. Um, and I never realized, like, that surrounding, like, not being able to, like, go outside and play because, like, the environment's not safe. Or, you know, in my school, I was um, I was sexually assaulted twice in school. You know, those, like, um, those events and those things, like, I never realized until now that we're speaking that like being in that type of environment, having that type of experience 
could have um, also had an impact on my mental health on top of, you know, all sorts of other things. Um, that's, you know, really interesting. Um, you grew up in Chicago, right? What part of Chicago did you grow up in? Yeah, I was, I was very fortunate to grow up on the north side of Chicago because, as you said, uh, you know, depending on where you live in the world, going for a walk could be a very dangerous thing. You, you may not come home with gunshots, IEDs, um, you know, um, construction, you know, breathing in, yeah, mm. carcinogens. Uh, there, there are definitely some environmental dangers. Or even if you're out in a country, there could be, um, you know, wildlife that um, that you have to look out for. So it, it's you know a, a lot of these blanketed uh, general solutions to uh, just go for a walk. Like that could be very dangerous uh, for some people. Or um, even, you know, there could be bullies in the neighborhood and uh, mm -hmm. even the cops sometimes, depending on where you live. So going for a walk isn't this beautiful uh, Instagrammable thing uh, for most people. But yeah, I grew up on the north side of Chicago in between two top universities, Loyola University and Northwestern University. And uh, in between that, were uh, you know gangs and 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 people on drugs and uh, you know and then just the middle class everyday people. So I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood and and culturally diverse. Where uh, you know I, I saw uh, you know people who had money and people who had uh, no money and and people who were stealing money and. Uh, people who were going to school and people going to work and people who weren't going anywhere. Uh, I saw all of it all the time, all at once. And and so it, it really opened my eyes up to um, all the options that life <laughs> can provide for you. You know, there was no disillusionment as to uh, where you could end up um, at, at any moment. So... You had to be aware because, uh, you know, you just, you didn't know. You didn't know what that car was pulling up next to you, friend or foe. Um, and and one of the, you know, I, I'm six, one and a half. I'm a pretty big guy, I'm like 220. And I grew up very fast and I grew up with, and I had like a, like a goatee in middle school. And one of the things, and this has come up a few times with like the, the shootings and, uh, you know, uh, of, of black men, uh, but also with black women is that we physically uh, are, we grow up a little faster physically. And mm -hmm. so I was in middle school and I was commonly mistaken as my mom's husband or boyfriend, <laughs> right? Oh, wow. And so... And you know, like this, like my voice now, I've always had this voice. I never went through a, hey, how's it going? Like I, I, I never had that awkward voice. I, you know, I was a grown man from day one uh, physically. And so the world responded accordingly. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the police officers responded accordingly. Gangs uh, were trying to recruit me at a, a very young age because I, I just looked so much older. And, and so people think you can handle more than you can because physically 
you know, you are their size. Right. And so there's a, an, a, an adultification of young children, especially minority children, especially minority girls, because uh, a lot of them, because of the foods that we're, we're eating, or I, I say foods, the, the, the process, the chemicals that we're ingesting really is a, a more specific way to put it. Um, uh, we're, they're developing, they're having puberties earlier. Uh, for a, a lot of girls, especially in hood, their puberty is starting at, at nine years old when it used mm-hmm. to be 13. And so now you have a, a nine-year-old girl who looks like a, a, a 18-year-old woman walking down the street. And there's, there's going to be some effects from that, unfortunately. Absolutely. So coming from Chicago, um, one, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What brought you to L.A.? What attracted you to L.A.? Uh, a, a number of things. Green juice, and because they got green juice out there, I don't know if you're gonna find deep dish <laughs> out there. So I know it's not the food. <laughs> so so what's so funny is right now I'm drinking a blue spirulina uh, algae drink. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> right now. Well, you're on a liquid diet, so I'll I'll allow. Um. <laughs> uh, and so funny, you know, what brought me to LA? I, I never know really how to answer that question. Um, I so I, I went to Ball State, played college football there. I was injured uh, to my meniscus. I have uh, six bulging discs and was paralyzed twice. Oh my uh, god! And so my football career was over after four years. I was supposed to have a fifth year because I redshirted and. I then went on to get my master's degree in counseling psychology. My original interest was in becoming a forensic psychologist. I I wanted to, or at first it was an FBI profiler, then forensic psychologist. Um, And then, so you like, you're working in a criminal justice system as a, as a psychologist. Mm and then I, you know, I, I did some work in there. I used to counsel inmates and married couples and working with inmates. I was like, this is, uh, this is, these aren't people I want to hang around with. You know, these aren't mm-hmm. the conversations I want to have uh, on a day-to-day basis. And mm-hmm. I don't want to walk the earth looking at people as uh, either victims or criminals. Mm. Uh, which, as a side note, is a, a reason why I stopped watching Law and Order SVU because I realized there were <laughs> only two types of characters: you were either uh, the victim or you were the assaulter, and and, and mm. that's the the only depth of of character that they uh, would show you. And I was like, I, I don't want to ingest this and consume this uh, on a frequent basis. So, mm-hmm. um, after. Towards the end of my grad career, I was like, well, I don't want to get my PhD right now because I I don't know enough about the world. I don't know enough about life. I've kind of been in a bubble, you know, home, school, and then practice. And I just felt like I needed to live out in the world a bit before I could give advice to people, before I could talk to people and 
help them navigate through their lives. And also had at the same time had always wanted from high school to act, I say high school, but actually from middle school wanted to be a, a performer in some way. I was in a boy band growing up, and then oh snap! Uh, I, I, it, it sounds bigger than what you know. We weren't in sync. We weren't doing <laughs> stadiums. We were doing like we're backyard birthday parties. You know, uh, that's and, still something. You were getting yeah, that. So, show. <laughs> true that. True that. So. You know, I, I, cause I, I was, uh, I was, a, uh, you know, I've always been a writer. So I, I wrote a bunch of poetry and then I wrote raps. And so I was a rapper. My boy Steve Cook was a singer. He was this white boy with red hair. And then my boy Josh Walls was the, uh, was the dancer. And, I have to ask, what was the name of the group? <laughs> uh, Exit Stage Left. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, and and so it was and we, we you know so we did that in middle school, and uh, you know once we got to high school we all went our separate ways. I think Josh is a pastor now, Steve is a professor, and I'm here in LA, uh, you know doing what I do, and so after uh, towards the end of my grad career I go, oh, God I never really got a chance to get on stage the way I wanted to. And so I, I was like, I want to do, I want to try stand-up comedy. I want to try acting. So I um, did, I auditioned for a play in, in, uh, in Muncie, Indiana at the Muncie uh, Theater. And I got, I got the role and uh, we, we did the show and everybody after was like, oh my God, you're amazing. You should move to LA or New York. And so my ego was like, yeah, you're right. I am amazing after only doing one play. <laughs> and I, I go to visit New York because I was like, I'm not sure about New York. I was like, I know definitely I could move to L.A., but I wasn't sure about New York. So I said, let me go to New York to rule it out. If I go there and I love it, I'll stay. Uh, if I hate it, then I'll just move to L.A. So I went mm -hmm. to New York. I hated it. Uh, it was, <laughs> I was and, and, and I'll tell you why, because it's such a, you know, I, like I said, I kind of, I grew up in a bubble and I didn't understand the world. And when, it, when you go to school in Muncie, Indiana, where your rent is $230 per month with utilities, and then you go to New York and the same space, a one bedroom is like 1500 or 2000 mm -hmm. um, per month. It's a shock. You know, I yeah. didn't understand. I, that's when I understood cost of living. I didn't understand that growing up in LA. And and even with that 1500 or 2000, like it, you're still not getting much. Um, and it was loud and it was dark and it was red. I was just like, ah, oh, I've, I've lived this kind of already. This is, too, it was too overwhelming. So I just mm -hmm. moved to LA, sight unseen. And uh, and I was like, well, I could do stand up and comedy here. And so I don't know if that answers the question, but. Uh, I mean, I get it. LA, you know, it's warm, it's nice and everything, but. You know, me, I've never been to California. I have family there, would like to visit. I don't know if I would live there because, I, like, there's, like, a rivalry between New Yorkers and, like, Californians. Like, like in New York, I, like, New Yorkers are like, oh, 
people from California always happy and and with the green juice and blah blah blah. blah. Like there's like this like love <laughs> kind of. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and say that I hate California, but what I do know that I can't get down with is the forest fires, the mudslides, um, all the earthquakes, all that craziness. Um, I can't I can't do all of that. No, I would not be able to to handle that. But um, yeah, I would like to like check it out and sightseeing and all that good stuff that'd be cool i mean i can understand new york is definitely not for everybody it's very fast paced it's literally the city that never sleeps um you know i don't live there anymore i live in pennsylvania now and when i go i can only stay for like a weekend and by sunday i'm like my anxiety is through the roof and i'm ready to get out of there i probably got only four hours to sleep because at night all you hear is people blasting the naked song or the freaking ambulance going by or I remember when we lived in, in New York, um, my my dad, he had an apartment and you looked right outside the window and the train was right there. <laughs> so the train would go by, you would feel the apartment shake and you would hear it going on the tracks. I can't deal with that anymore. Now that I'm in PA, I have peace and quiet and I hear the birds chirping and, you know, people just mowing their grass. And I'm like, Phew, I, I don't know if I could ever live in the city again. So I feel you on that. Yeah, you know, it's it's New York is great if you're wealthy. Like you can't just oh, be yeah. rich in New York. Like if you're wealthy and you can get a high rise that's high enough so you don't have to hear all the shenanigans. Milestone. Yeah. If you're if you're wealthy, you can enjoy all the luxuries of New York City. But if you're just you know, if you're middle class, blue collar, you know, New York is it's tough. It's, it's tough. It's a tough city to live in. The, you know, I mean, you mentioned one bedroom for 1500 That's how much a studio might go for. Not even a one bedroom. And the studio out there is like, it's like a closet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like everything's right there on one floor, you know? So no, I, I hear you, but rent for 200 and something. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. What is, what are you doing? Come on. Yes. Yeah. Then I'll be wealthy with that type of rent. Well, you know, there's not a lot of job opportunities there. That's the thing. Uh, mm-hmm. now, it's, it's great if, now, if you're making a, a living online, then you're good. You know, uh, you got a little OnlyFans going and you live in <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> You'll be set. Nah, that that would that would not be my line of work. I don't I don't have the confidence for that. So you you do um, comedy, and I was seeing um, on your Instagram page that you've been doing a couple of shows here and there. So how does it feel now? You know the you know the well. I don't even know if I could say like the pandemic's easing up. Like one minute it looks like things are getting better. It's like a roller coaster, but you know some restrictions are being lifted. The weather's getting nice, so now we can do things um, outdoor and safely. So how has that experience been for you, um, getting back out there in front of crowds and whatnot? You know, this weekend, I I got like a half-standing ovation. And half? What is that? Half, <laughs> what? Oh, like, like a full-standing ovation would be everybody stood up. And, mm. and so half is like half the audience stood up. And it felt good because, you know, with this pandemic, you know, comedians, we haven't been able to get on stage as frequently as we've been able to. And so a lot of us are still getting our sea legs under us Mm -hmm. as things, you know, a whole year of clubs being shut down and, and doing, you know, Zoom comedy shows 
you know, our, our muscles have atrophied. We don't know what's, you know, it's hard to gauge what's funny, what people really want to hear. Do they want to hear COVID jokes or are they over it? Um, and, you know, do, do the old jokes, some of the old jokes still work that, that, I, that we were working? Is it still relevant? Do I still care enough about the stuff that I was talking about before? And so, you know, I, I, it's, so it's been exciting. It's been exciting and uh, I'm, I'm super happy and invigorated to, uh, to be back on stage again. And um, it, it's definitely changed because before I was a bit more socio-political uh, mm-hmm. with my material, but I'm so, and I think a lot of us are so over politics. Mm, uh, yeah. It's so draining. It's so exhausting. And we've lost so many friends and family and, and time to, uh, 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 to, to emotionally uh, engaging with you know everything the news is trying to throw at us. That mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that I, I, we're at a place now where I, I just want to hear about you. How are you doing? So when I'm on stage, I'm I'm sharing my story. I'm talking about my life and my experiences, and you know my crazy MF. But my mom is from Belize, and talking. To, you know, I'm 45, so talking about my health issues and uh, <laughs> and my relationship with my girlfriend. And uh, so you know, we, we're just it's, it's everything's about me. If it's not about me, I'm not I'm not interested because. Uh, there's too much news out there and it's changing so frequently that by the time you get to the stage with it, it's, it's old news. So, yeah, I think that's nice, you know, and, and it kind of like keeps it, keeps it light and refreshing. Cause yeah, like you said, like we're tired of politics. I know I'm tired. Um, I'm, I'm tired of seeing it. I'm tired of talking about it. Um, it it's exhausting. And, and it's not like I'm tired cause I'm not interested. It's just, it's exhausting. It's a lot. I mean, just today, I was uh, viewing a friend's Snapchat story, and her husband got her child this onesie that says, "I cry less than a Democrat." And it was like, even like little stuff like that. I'm like, I'm I'm sick of it. Like, why do we have to do this? Like, can we not? You know. So I think that's great that you're doing that. And I personally enjoy comedy shows where people like talk about themselves because yeah. that's where I could see like, do I relate to this person? And like, you know, Kevin Hart, he does a lot of like talking about his own life experiences and with his kids, with his wife, uh, with his relatives. Um, and I'm like watching and I'm seeing, I'm like, yeah, like that happens in my family too. Or yeah, I go through that with my, with my child as well. And so, yeah, that's really refreshing. And I feel like when it's relatable too, like it, it, it makes it that funnier. It has like even a bigger funny factor to it. Yeah, because... The, you know, they say the more uh, specific, I forget how, the more specific you get, the more global it connects or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you know, talking about, yeah, talking about my mom cooking rice and um, or having like, you know, she trying to cure everything with ginger ale or big <laughs> vapor rub. Um, See, I relate to that right there. Yeah, but, everybody yeah, connects with. Yes. <laughs> everybody, uh, you know, not everybody did with the ginger ale, but ginger ale was a big thing. That um, <laughs> you know, or just drinking water. At my mom's cure for everything was drink more water. Um, you got it. Drink some. <laughs> yeah, just drink. You tired? Whatever it is, did you, you drink water? Um, <laughs> so 
it's like just talking about those tiny things uh, we, we all connect and so we, we don't have to start with the news or sports like uh, that that's so oh my god and and that doesn't mean that um I don't I, I, I like to read actually the Sunday newspaper so because mm-hmm. I, I I like to have an idea of what's going on in the world and sometimes it'll make its way into the comedy um, when I'm improvising, but it's not intentionally placed in there. Does that make sense? Mm. It's like, yeah. you know, like I could be talking about my mom, but my mom's an immigrant. So sometimes there might be a joke about the wall uh, um, inadvertently tossed in because I'm talking about my mom being an immigrant. So I'm mm-hmm. not just talking about immigration from this uh, objective point of view, but my mom's experience and my experience of growing up with an immigrant mother and what that was like. And so, um, you know, so, and also, I'm also not disconnected from politics and from policies that are taking place. And I, I think that's um, what we should be talking more about is the policies, not the politics. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like when we vote, right? A lot of people were so focused on who you voted for. I, I don't care who you vote. I, I'm more curious about what you voted for. Like, mm-hmm. what what were the um, uh, what do they call those? Uh, not the uh, the bills. Like, what bills did you vote for? What did you vote against? What um, props? You know, the props that you voted for. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's a bit more telling of what you value than who you voted for. Um, and not that I really want to have either of those discussions, but uh, I, I'm more about the specifics. You know, my um, my friend, uh, she was on a plane with her, grandf- or with her father, and her father is 93 years old, and he had some trouble getting up out the chair after the, after the long flight. And uh, a man in the I'll seat across from him helped him up. Now, they don't know anything about each other's politics. He didn't say, hey, who did you vote for before he tried to help him up? And mm-hmm. nor did the other guy ask him who he voted for before he was helped up. He, he, he saw a person who needed help, extended his hand and helped him up. And, and, and so and, and that's what we have to remind ourselves is that we're all people um, and, and start there. Start with, with the person before you start with the politics absolutely i agree we we are all people and and we need more more kindness in the world you know more kindness and more of giving people the benefit of the doubt you know i feel like nowadays like everyone's guard is way way up which i completely understand but like me personally i'm the type of person when i come into a new situation like i come in with open arms open heart and I give everyone the benefit of the doubt, not here, like you said, worrying about like your affiliation, like, you know, who you voted for, Republican, Democrat, Christian, non-Christian, like, you know, I just, like you said, want to know the person, who you are, what is, you know, what is your, what's in your heart. So that's, that's really, that's really great. That's very insightful. Um, 
I wanted to go back to, you mentioned like throughout your whole life, you um, struggle with suicidal ideation. Um, I myself, I'm a three time suicide survivor. Um, is the suicide, your suicidal ideations, is that what led you to getting a master's in counseling and psychology? Is, was that like a, like a motivator for you in any way? I think the strongest motivate, motivator for me was, I was, I feel like I was born uh, a consultant. I was mm. born as a connector, um, as a, a person who I find meaning in helping and resolving conflict between people and between parties. Um, it's something that uh, it was a role I was thrust into as a, as a child. My father wasn't around, so, or I should say he was on the other side of town with his other family. And yeah. so my, I have a sister who's four years younger and I would, I was often um, the, the therapist between those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom and my sister would get in an argument and then I would have to sit them down as a 10, 11 year old and help them come to grips with, you know, uh, what's happening and, and resolve the conflict between them. And mm-hmm. that was, that's always been a role that I've naturally gravitated towards of like, hey guys, do we have to fight this out? Can't we, can't we talk about this kind of thing? Um, You're just a natural mediator. A natural mediator. That's the word I was looking for. So, <laughs> I um, but I also, with that said, you know, I, I would love for the world to be full of kindness. But I'm aware that uh, we all have a shadow side. So mm. I, I uh, also um, adhere to uh, Socrates. I think it was Socrates who said that every man should have a book in one hand and a sword in the other. So I come with kindness and I come with uh, knowledge and words and um, philosophy on, on one hand. However, if I have to use the sword, I'm also willing to do that. But I, I don't want to lead with the sword. I want to lead with conversation. And I found that in 99.9% of the time that, uh, you know, through conversation, through connecting, through compassion, um, the, the situations will uh, resolve themselves. I, I've had guns drawn on me a number of times and I've never needed a gun to get a person to put their gun down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that reminds me, like, my mother, she she raised me to always, always be kind to people because you never know what someone's going through. Um, always do things with love. And um, when resolving conflict, my mom always reminded me, you know, when approaching a, a situation or a person, you know, to always do it first and foremost with love. But and secondly, with respect. And um, I think that speaks to what you just said. And we definitely need more of that in the world. Absolutely. And, you know, it's there. It's definitely there. And I think that um, we have to be intentional about, uh, one, seeking it out, and two, mm. re-noticing it 
So, you know, our amygdala, our brains are wired for to detect threats. And so it spends two thirds of its energy looking for threats. Mm -hmm. Uh, Only a third of it is it going to use to notice love and affection and kindness and attention. And so we have to be intentional about noticing the smile that the cashier gives us uh, or the nod that a passing stranger gives us or how the conductor held the train or bus for us uh, 10 seconds as we were running for it um, or all the incidences that don't happen, right? Um, the, you know, the fact that I walked by 100 people and none of them robbed me or tried to assault me or, mm-hmm. um, you know, called the cops on me. So these are all instances of, you know, the fact that even your mail person delivered your mail to your house. Like, like these are all things that don't have to happen on a daily basis. And, and, and it's a reminder of how the community, the country, um, and corporations are actually working together to show us the ways that they do care and that mm. they they do um, they are thinking about you. I mean, you know, I'm it's such a small thing, but I always think about street lights, and I think about things like um, uh, these street signs. That I was listening to a podcast about a guy who his like most of like the you know uh, stop or turn left or the highway signs that you see they were all designed by one guy um, and you know like the no parking any times and, and, the, and, the, and the bathroom signs like it was it was like one guy who cared so much about and thought so much and put so much attention into how do you communicate effectively with everyone so everyone understands these signs so that we can move around the world a bit safer, you know? And, and, and someone hired him to do that because to make the world safer. And someone said, oh, there, there's too many accidents at the street corner. We need to do something about this. That, that's, a, that's a community effort. So there are all these signs that, that, that there is love around us and, uh, and people care and there's, and there's scientists right now trying to solve um, uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, global warming and they're trying to figure out how to, how to um, uh, you know, uh, uh, address uh, all the pollution in the oceans and, and they're creating, you know, there's, 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 there's high school students and college students right now constructing things and testing things out to, to make the air breathable and how do we get fresh water to rural areas that, you know, so there, there's all these different signs of love. And, and sometimes we, we just have to sit back and reflect on it and, and notice it. And the fact that someone built buildings and structures and, um, and Wi-Fi, you know, you know <laughs> telephones, it's, it's like, it's, it's remarkable, even with all of the chaos and all of the corruption and all of the civil wars uh, that have taken place and world wars that have taken place, what we've still been able to build as a human 
species, as a human race. Um, you, you know, just the fact that, you know, uh, black men can marry white women and people of different races and cultures can get married now. Uh, and, you know, uh, gay rights and uh, what we've done in terms of reducing world poverty over time and, and the mm-hmm. fact that, uh, you know, there's not a world war. Are there wars going on? Yes, I think that's a, a part of humanity. But, um, you know, it's not like World War II where the, what, where the world literally was uh, on edge at all times and uh so i'm i'm it's and and like i said it's not about saying oh things are beautiful now it's about saying it's it's both and and to take time to um you know i'm i'm looking out my my window right now and i'm sometimes i'm just fascinated that there's someone who picks up my trash every day like uh, there's some I, I don't know why that's so fascinating and so cool to me. As a kid, I actually wanted to be uh, a sanitation engineer. I wanted to be a garbage man. I want. I, I thought there was something cool about hanging off the back of the truck, driving down the street, and jumping off, and then <laughs> throwing the trash, uh, you know, into the thing. I thought that was such a cool job, and and, um, and I still think it's a cool job. I think there's. I don't know why, but there's just. So, you know, so love, we have to be intentional about uh, in our relationships, too, with, with each other. Because uh, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's so many things that we want from each other. And we're so focused on, on on the fact that we didn't get what we want, that we don't recognize that we have what we need. Absolutely. And I think to add to, add to that, you know, not only just being intentional with with love but you know what I got out of what everything you were saying is just you know um practicing gratitude you know noticing the good things expressing gratitude to to someone or something and um you know and keep spreading that that love of kindness you know when you practice gratitude it could really change your perspective in such a positive way and just really just make a 180 and and how you how you move in the world um and that's something that myself i try to you know practice every day in life and um i think everyone will benefit from practicing some more gratitude and and being more intentional with love um leo it's been a pleasure talking with you today um it's been so much fun uh I'm, I'm so happy that you know two complete strangers were able to just get on and just like start talking like as if we've always known each other you know i'm always fascinated when i'm able to connect uh with someone like that so quickly um so thank you for that thank you so much for your time and just you know all those gems that you were dropping for us and everything that you have shared with us today i really appreciate it Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. This was incredible, Ashley. Of course, you are always welcome on the show. If you ever want to come back again, you have you have my number and my Instagram. So you just shoot me a text or a DM and I will be more than happy to set something up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for, for listening. I appreciate this. Stay well. Yeah. So Bye. this is Make the Space with Ashley. Take care, everybody. <laughs>